0: It's interesting how that can happen, right? How you can have a really great day. And then all it it takes is just one little notification on this thing. A text comes through, an email from your boss, or maybe a message from your wife, or a note in your kid's backpack saying that they didn't do so well when the sub was there today. Some of you had parent-teacher conferences over the last two weeks. How was that? Or maybe you see something on the news, right? You hear something on the news or it pops up and, and, and instantly what happens? It starts with an emergency flare that goes off in your brain, right? And then maybe your heart starts racing a little bit. You, you, you get a little bit sweaty, right? And, uh, and then the, the army of butterflies unleashes itself in your stomach, And then you enter that phase, that status, that only humans can do, and it's called worry. We're the only ones that do that. Now, I'm not talking about stress. Stress is different from worry. Stressors are things either internal or external that are outside of our control that happen to us. Stress is different, but our response to it is worry. And worry is a universal response. Every single person is prone to worry at some level. Some people, some people are kind of lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it. Some people, they don't really experience much worry. And you might be one of those people. You can go through through some pretty tough time and you're kind of made of Kevlar and things bounce off of you quite a bit. It takes a lot to get you upset. Anybody in the room willing to admit that? We've had a couple at every service. It's all right, anybody? Yeah, we got one in there? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I don't know what that's like. Yeah, uh, how many, but there are some people on the other end of the spectrum, right? Where when you heard that we were going to be talking about worry, you started getting worried, right? <laughs> or, or maybe like sometimes you've caught yourself worrying about worrying too much, right? I think most of us fall somewhere in between these two extremes. And some of the things that we worry about, it can be pretty funny. Come on, you got it a bit. It can be pretty funny. On Friday, my family did the thing that we've done since I was a teenager. We were part of those weird people who go out and shop early on Black Friday morning. Anybody else? Where are my fellow crazies? Come on. Where are you? Yeah, it's okay. Hey, yeah, hold your hand up high. That's good. Yes, we started doing that when we were teenagers, and we have done it every year since. And Elizabeth has joined in on this wonderful tradition in our family. Actually, what we do is we will go to my niece's house up in uh, Davison, And we, sh- we show up uh, Thursday night. And we stay up till about 1, 2 in the morning going through all of the ads, figuring out what we want. Yeah. And some of the stores, they actually have, I don't know if you know this, but they have maps now of where you can find stuff. And we will go through and list out, okay, you're going to quadrant 1, 2, and 3. They, they number them, not me. You go through 1, 2, 3. You're going to go to 4, 5, and 6. And we split it all up. We figure out who's going to put what in their carts. And then we go right? So we get there. Usually we get there about an hour and a half early for the first one. And we almost always start at Menards. Yeah. You know why? Because they're nicer at Menards and you save big money or something. I don't know, but you can judge me if you want. But I saw four Kensington people from here, there, this, this, where are you, Joe? Where are you at? Joe, are you in here? He's like, oh, Joe, 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 my man, my man. That was crazy, wasn't it? See, I'm not alone. It's not just me. Some people were even brave enough to wear Kensington shirts. I'm like, I'm not gonna let people know where I'm from just in case I get upset. (laughs) So we got there about hour and a half early and we were feeling pretty good. We've never got there that early before. We were probably like 30 or 40 in line somewhere on there. And it was super fun. Everyone on our side of the line in our end, like they were all excited. Everyone's happy to be there because we know we're gonna get what we want. And then about 10 minutes before everything started, we noticed that people were still arriving, people who hadn't planned very well, right? And they had gotten there. And by this time, the line had gone out. It was around the parking lot and it was down the street, right? It down, the, you saw that, right? It was down the street next to Menards. And what was interesting is as these latecomers were arriving, someone had found carts in one of the returns outside and they were walking past us with carts. And it took one person to ask the question, are all the carts outside? Are we going to get a cart? And suddenly, everyone around us started freaking out about whether or not they would have a cart to pick all of their stuff up and walk around with, right? And then, they, then people started sending family members across this barricade that was, that was forming the line, and they were going out, grabbing carts, bringing them back, and lifting them over the barricade. Yeah, those people were crazy. We were one of them. We got up to the front of the line, though, and we found out there were hundreds of carts on the inside. And uh, so sometimes the things we worry about are as silly as a shopping cart at Menards. But sometimes the things we worry about can actually hurt us, right? They can affect us. And while I've been studying for this message... I've been doing some research on, on, um, on some of the effects that worry has on us. It's amazing the amount of studies that have been done just in the last decade as people are realizing what worry is doing to us as a culture and as individuals. Here's some of the side effects. Okay? Worry can upset your digestive system. Worry can give you acid reflux, which affects all sorts of problems, or creates all sorts of problems in your body. Worry can decrease your libido. Worry can make you lose hair, gentlemen. Worry can make you gain weight. Worry can give you premature heart problems or give you heart problems when you weren't prone to any. Worry can decrease your memory. It can also cause your skin to break out. One of the writers in one of the studies said this. Said more, the more we worry, the less our bodies are able to deal with the stressors we face. So I have a question. If worrying was a drug, and these were the side effects... Would you take it? You would think not. I would think not, but I still do, don't I? Charles Spurgeon is an author and a theologian. He studies things about the Bible. And he said this. He said, anxiety and worry, it does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its strength. See, worrying literally robs our life from us. And yet we still do it. Like We know it's illogical. We know it's not healthy. We know that it is completely, it, there, there's, it makes no sense. It's irrational. It accomplishes nothing, but we do it anyway. But, but we kind of got smart over the years because we know we're not supposed to worry. So we disguise it with different language, right? I'm just concerned, okay? I'm concerned about my kids' grades, okay? I just want to make sure everything's planned out, right? I want to be prepared. I want my ducks to be in a row. I'm just looking to see the outcome. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just lying to you. I'm worrying, right? That's it. And the question we have today is, is there a better way? And we think there is. Is there a way to live without worry? Is there a way to defeat worry? And we think, yes. Yes, we think that there is. So to get that, that connects us to our series. This is what we're talking about. We're looking at this question that Jesus asked, why do you worry? we're going to take one of his his most famous sermons and see what he has to say and what he gives as the answer to worry. But before we do that, I would love for you to join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great day, this great week to spend time with others. And every single one of us, I know, we've all come in here with some kind of worry nagging in our heart or in the back of our minds whether it's a big one or a small one. And, and I just want to thank you ahead of time for being the place we can give that worry to, for being the person we give that worry to. Thank you for calling us and giving us an ability to release it. And I pray that you will begin now the work of us releasing it. I pray that those of us who have come in here today and, and uh, we, 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 we act like we don't worry, but we know there's something in there. I pray that our worries cry out from our hearts tonight so that we will be able to experience freedom and grace and peace, change our, mar- change our, um, change our minds, change our ears, and change our hearts as we tune into you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin tonight by inviting the ushers to come down. We don't normally do this at the beginning of service, uh, but they're going to come down and they're going to pass the offering plates. We're going to take our offering at this time. And for those of you who are new here today, we really mean this. We're glad you're here. That's it. We're glad you're here. You can partake in this, you can let it slide, whatever. If you want to, you can. If not, it's okay. We're glad you're here. Because this moment, when it comes to giving and giving an offering, the whole point is for us to partner with God in what He's doing to change the world, both in our lives, in our community, and around the world, right? And and it can be a little stressful when it comes to giving. Elizabeth and I actually we give online, we, we do the app thing, and they didn't tell us to say this, but I love doing I love doing it on the app. Like it makes it so much easy. So, so much easier. but And as some people have recurring giving where they do it over and over. I don't like to do that. I like to actually feel the pain of when, when, you, when you submit it and you're like, okay, there, there goes that, Lord. You're going to take care of this, right? So sometimes it can be a little stressful, but it's great to know that God is going to work through the things that he's given us when we give. So today's message Our content comes from one of the most popular sermons and teachings that Jesus ever gave. I'm going to start it out, you end it. It's, we, we often call it the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, some of you have heard this before. Um, if you haven't, well, it's called Sermon on the Mount because Jesus gave a sermon while standing on a mount. That's it, on a mountain. That's it. That's where the name comes from. It was out near the, uh, a place called Lake Gennesaret and he was teaching and people came from all over the place, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people came out to see him. Now, at this point in Jesus's ministry, most people didn't know he was the son of God. A couple of people were saying that, but most people thought he was just a teacher. He was about 30 years old and he would go from town to town and he would stand somewhere, sit somewhere, I don't know, and people would just come and listen. And so in this sermon... In this message, it actually, it takes place in the book of Matthew, which Matthew is one of the books, we call them the Gospels, because they talk all about Jesus and his good news, right? So it takes place in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You ever want to read something or even memorize something? That's a great place to start. People who don't even believe in God read the stuff that Jesus taught, and they see the, the, ama- the amazing moral lessons that can be learned from that. But these aren't just moral lessons, What Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually is talking about God's kingdom. And the word kingdom comes up a lot in this passage. And he says that God's kingdom really is is, its life. And he teaches people, teaches us how to experience life to the full. And it happens here on this Sermon on the Mount. So when you're listening, you'll notice he's showing us a purpose in life. And one of the topics he brings up, he could have said anything to people, but one of the topics that he chose to talk about was worry. Because it was that important for him to let us know about it. So he, he, start, he says, we, we'll read in chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 25. This might be familiar to some of you. It says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. Now, you might have heard of that before, but there's something interesting about this. What's that? I need you to say it out loud. What's that first word in that sentence? Therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, it is there for a reason. It's a it's kind of cheesy. I know. I know. Just go with me, all right? I work with kids. So it's a It's a bridge statement. It connects this statement of not worrying to what he says before. See, Jesus starts talking about worry before this. And he begins it by talking about our treasures and what we invest in in life. And so the verse before this actually is this. He says, "No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you're going to despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money." Now, it's interesting. Jesus intros worry by talking about money. Sound about right? I don't know about you, but I know many of our conversations, most of our struggles that we deal with, right, is it all starts with some form of money, budget. How are we going to save for this, right? It makes sense that Jesus starts by talking about money. Now, whenever Jesus is talking, something you need to know, and I tell my students this all the time, there is a surface truth, and then there's the deeper truth. Jesus always speaks and acts in layers. There's what you see on the surface, then there's what goes on underneath. So the surface truth here is the fact that, yes, you cannot be fully devoted to God and fully devoted to personal wealth and gain. You cannot. Because eventually the two, the gap between the two will become so great that you will not be able to drive in both lanes. They split off from each other because eventually if you go after money, well, then you're going to think it's all yours when really God says, hey, everything belongs to me in the first place and I just give you things. Right, So eventually this, they split. So that's the surface thing. And we're not talking, any, we're not talking much more about that today. Today we're going to dive into the deeper truth. And the deeper truth Jesus is pointing to is this. What we worry about is connected to what we live for. See, we only worry about the things that we care for. Example, I don't stay awake at night thinking about your retirement account. I don't. I don't stay awake at night wondering how your marriage is doing. It doesn't keep me up at night. I care about your kids, but their grades don't keep me up all night. Right? It may keep you up all night, but not me. Right? We what we worry about shows what we care for. Worry reveals our life's focus. It always tips its hat to who our real master is. See, before we can tackle our worry, what Jesus is saying here is before we can tackle our worry, we have to start by being honest about who our king is. Who is king in your life? Have you ever had two jobs before? You work for two jobs, two different bosses. It's kind of hard for those who've done it before. It's really hard, especially around scheduling time, because both bosses think they own your schedule. Both bosses want you for their prime time, Right? And you end up having to choose between the two. And they don't like that very much, which makes you not like it very much. Or have you ever... Or think about when you moved from elementary to middle school or middle school to high school. And and you realize that you no longer have one teacher giving you all of your homework and making sure you have a balance, right? You have multiple teachers and every teacher thinks their homework is the most important thing for you to do. Right? It's hard to serve more than one person. Or think about this i know some of you in here may have grown up in two different households you may have grown up in split households and you may have had one set of values in one house and another set of values in another house and i'm sure that created some kind of conflict some of you are even parenting in that situation where you've got two sets of ideals and it makes it difficult for you and for your children so what jesus saying is true here you can't serve two masters it's too hard And he compares these two masters, which, by the way, a master is something that you serve and something that you trust to care for you and provide for you. On one end, you have money. Now, remember, the surface of what Jesus is saying is the word money. But underneath that is the the actual literal word for this. It's it's Greek. It's mammon. Say mammon. Come on, say mammon. mammon. It's fun to say. So mammon... um, It's used to describe money, yes, but it's one of those multifaceted words, and it means a lot of different things. So it means money, but it was also used to describe our personal pursuit of wealth. It also was used to describe this kingdom, our world around us, the things in life that we pursue, mammon. And mammon is a terrible, terrible master, because you can give your entire life sacrificing for it, right? You can give your entire life giving up for it and pursuing it and caring for it. And once you get it, if you get it, then you gotta fight to keep it. And then at the end, you're not even guaranteed you're gonna get the return out of it that you invested in the first place. Mammon's a terrible owner, a terrible master. But then on the other hand, we have God who pursued you first. Who loved you first, who cares for you first, who sacrificed for you first. And he demands the same kind of devotion as mammon, but he already paid the price for you. See, Jesus is saying one of these masters sets you up for stress and anxiety and worry daily before your feet hit the floor. But the other master sets you up to receive life before your feet ever hit the floor. There's mammon in this kingdom. There's God in his kingdom. And Jesus asks, when your worry shows up, he asks you to start by asking the question, who is your king? Which begs the next question, who would you rather be your king? Who would you rather serve? Which then asks the next question, what would happen to your worry if you shift your focus from one to the other? So Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. And then he goes into this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is, life more, is, is not life more than food and body more than clothes? He says, don't worry. It's a command. And the literal Greek translates as this. Take no anxious thought about your life. Anxiety and stress and worry will come. Don't take it. Don't worry. And then Jesus, what does he do? He starts listing off needs, real actual needs, food. Water, clothes. Now, for us, that may be hard to feel the impact because we live in the wealth, one of the wealthiest societies that the history of humanity has ever seen. So we might not sense the gravity of what Jesus was saying here. So I'm going to take and put it in today's terms for what, for what he might say to us. Don't worry about your 401k. Don't worry about your mortgage. Don't worry about whether or not your kid will get into the school that you or they want. Don't worry about your spouse's health. Don't worry about your parents' health. Don't worry about whether you'll be single for the rest of your life. Don't worry about your promotion, your wayward child, your empty bank account. Don't worry about finding an amazing job that you're completely happy with and fulfilled by. See, we think Jesus is tame, but what we miss is that he's actually coming out swinging here. He comes out attacking the things that we love and hold most dear and things that we actually need. But he does it gracefully because, you know, he doesn't take them down and say that these things aren't important. He acknowledges that they matter in our lives and that we need them. But then he also reminds us that even though they are nice for our life, they aren't our life. We are worth more than what we pursue. And I can see it all now, and I need you to go there with me. I want you to pretend that, I want you to imagine... That you are at, at the mountain with Jesus. So you've joined the crowd of people that's there that day and, and you're, you've come to hear Jesus talk and he's given his sermon. It's a beautiful sunny day. You're sitting by the seaside and as you're listening to him, he starts off really good. He starts off with the Beatitudes, what we call it today, right? The, the blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, we like this stuff. It, it sits well in our soul. But then as he goes through, he starts saying things a little more uncomfortable, like things aren't always fair and that's just how things are. And then he starts talking about our pursuit of wealth versus our pursuit of God and how we can't do both. And the more he talks, the more uncomfortable people are getting. And then he gets to this place and he says, all right, don't worry about eating. Don't worry about drinking. Don't worry about the stuff you think you need. And I can see it, right? I can see people starting to shift in their seats. People starting to, to, to put the big butts in the conversation, right? But Jesus, you don't know about what I'm going through. But Jesus, you don't see this. But Jesus, you're not thinking about this. And, and I can see people kind of smiling and nodding at Jesus while on the inside they're thinking about what they're gonna tell their what they're gonna complain about to their golf buddies later that day. Oh man, that Jesus. 30-year-old foolish Jesus. Just wait till he's married. <laughs> he'll change his tune about this. Just wait till he's got a family, he'll change his tune about this. Wait till he gets a real job. He just goes around talking to people all day. Wait till he gets a real job and has to have a budget and a place to live. Or let him try being a single parent and see if he changes his tune. And Jesus breaks the silence and he interrupts their murmurs and their, and their watch checking with this thing. I love this. He's so smart. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet in, your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? He points out birds that are flying over their heads. He says, Hey, look at the birds in the sky, which I'm sure no one except the kindergartners in the room were actually watching right? Because kindergartners, they only look at the things you want them to, or that you don't want them to, and they're never paying attention to what you do want them to. So it was just Jesus and kindergartners tracking that there were birds flying around. He says, look at those birds. <laughs> When's the last time you thought deeply about a bird? Really? I don't think about birds unless they've left a present on my car. I don't think about birds unless I hear them scratching and putting a nest in my roof. I want to get out a flamethrower and burn it down, but it's not my house, so I can't. I don't think about birds. And I think that's kind of the point. He says they don't sow. They didn't sow, they didn't reap, which means they didn't plant, they didn't harvest. They didn't have a job. They didn't buy barns. They didn't buy houses and garages and storage units and investment portfolios to put their bird seeds in. They didn't do it. They didn't plan for the future, and yet God sees each of them and he feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than a bird? So what is he saying here? He's saying when times are uncertain, remember God sees you. He sees the birds you ignored on your way to church tonight. He fed them and gave them what they needed. He sees them and he sees you in your trouble. He sees you in your tax mess. He sees what your kid is doing and unlike you, he actually knows what she's thinking He sees how your company screwed you over. He sees how your mother-in-law judged you at Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. He watched that. He sees how your ex is making your life a living hell. He sees your empty bank account and your check engine light at the same time. He sees the political climate, and unlike your favorite news show, he doesn't care about ratings, and he knows what's actually happening. He sees what happened with your insurance. He sees every refugee and he knows how to pronounce their names. He sees the heroin addict and he knows what led him to shoot up last night. He sees your hair falling out from the chemo. He sees the favoritism your professor has. He sees what happens in the hallways at your school. He sees your leaky plumbing and he sees your secret struggles and the weights that you carry. Jesus says, God sees these birds you don't and he sees you and he fed them and you're worth so much more. And then he continues and he says, oh, by the way, I added that, he didn't say that. He said, by the way, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? All right, show of hands. How many of you think you have added time to your life worrying maybe like a year or two anyone maybe anybody think maybe you've lost some life because of your worrying maybe anybody think you've lost some of your life because someone else in your house worries yeah keep those elbows in okay yeah worrying adds nothing but it takes a whole lot fixes nothing but it breaks a whole lot and it helps nothing but it hurts a whole lot so again why choose worry he continues and he says, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how all the flowers of the field grow. So he goes from pointing to the sky to pointing on the ground, pointing to the ground that they're sitting on. Do they not, or they do not labor or spin. The flowers don't go to spin class. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon's the most wealthiest king that the Israelites or the Jewish people would have ever known. He said, they're dressed, even him and all of his splendor was nothing like these. He ain't got nothing on them. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, he even cares about the grass that you cut, bundled, and burnt this summer. And aren't you worth more than that? And some of you, I get it. Some of you are skeptical right now, because I am too Sometimes. You're skeptical. You're hearing this th- stuff that I'm saying. You're like, yeah, this all sounds good. But in your mind, you're actually seeing me saying something similar to this. When it really looks bad, but you know, God will work it out. Something's burning in the background. God will take care of it. Just, he'll put the fire out. God, this is not what Jesus is saying. Okay, He's not saying that you just sit there and let the fire burn. No, go put the fire out. Okay, don't just sit there and say, God will send the rain. No, go get a bucket and go put the fire out, right? No, and he's, he doesn't say sit and do nothing. The birds still look for their food. They still look for their food. They still do what they have to do today. They just don't worry about tomorrow. God works that out. And then Jesus brings it down to faith. In the end, it comes in down to faith. And, he's, and he, you know what is faith? Faith is this. This is faith. In the face of worry, this is what faith looks like. Faith is trusting today that God will care for your tomorrow. That's it. You do what you're supposed to do today and you trust God will care for your tomorrow. See, faith is the antidote for worry. It's the remedy for worry. It's the kryptonite. Why? Because worry is all about one thing. It's all about control. Safety, security, predictability, certainty. Oh, I love these things. They're all, they all stem from a desire for, to, for control. I mean, think about it this way. When do we not worry? When things are going good. We don't worry when things are good, right? We worry when things are out of control, when things change. We like it when things are in control because really what we're saying is we like when we're in control. But when things are out of control, we realize the state of our existence The true state of our existence is that we truly are powerless. We can do whatever we have to, but at the end of the day, we are fully powerless. And we don't like that. I see this all the time when I sub. Sometimes sometimes a couple of days, a month, I go and I sub in our schools, in our local schools here. And some of your kids have seen me there at school. And I see this almost every time because I will if always do something the teacher doesn't normally do. And there will always be children to let me know that I've done something wrong that the teacher wouldn't do. And if you have a kid, you know this, right? But you can't change anything in their schedule. If things are unpredictable, you know, it all goes out the window, right? You're like, shut up, kid. No, I'm kidding. You don't say that to the kid. I want to, but I don't. <laughs> you see, when mammon fails, as it always does, it sends everything into a tailspin. Because the car's going to break. The things we t- trust in are going to break. The car's going to break. The market will crash. The pink slip will show up. One of your kids may go off the deep end. The accident happens, whatever. Mammon fails. And when we can do nothing, worrying then feels like the only thing that we can do. So worry is, in a resp- as a response, worry is us trying to hold on to control. So we grab tight, and we grip it, and we don't let go. Now, I haven't quite figured out this whole homeownership stuff. Right, Elizabeth and I—we don't—we don't want a home. We're, we're staying in her dad's house, and but kind of like the contract is that we're going to treat it like it is our own home, so we have to take care of it. Well, this summer we noticed Elizabeth noticed and pointed out to me that whenever it would rain, the rain—the rainwater would come. Uh, it would flow over the gutters. It wouldn't go down the tubes. It would flow over the gutters and come over the side. And she was like, "I think we need to clean out the gutters." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll get to it." Well, then we had that storm about a week and a half ago, and we woke up in the morning, and half the gutter was on the ground. And I was like, "I think." We need to go clean the gutters out. So we got the ladder out and we went through and, and she and I went on a rainy Saturday about a week ago and, and uh, we cleaned out the gutters. We took a little trowel because that's the only tool that I had and just went down the line pulling things out. And my goodness, I later found out she didn't tell me then. It hadn't been, Yeah, she's laughing now. It hadn't been clean in five years. So it gathered all of these leaves and all of this, all of this grit and grime. And as I was going up there, I would take and I was digging things out. So we were going around the house. We get to the back and there was one chunk of dirt that I just couldn't pull it out. And eventually I realized it was because it had roots and there was a tree growing on our roof. I'm not joking. It's about this tall. It had its own branches and its own buds that were going off the side of it. There's a tree growing in our gutter. And I had to pull and I yanked it out. And when I did, man, the water just rushed down to the end of the gutter and went down. And that's pretty funny, but I was thinking when that happened, I realized, I was like, that's what worry does to us, right? It seeds land in our hearts in a place that it's not supposed to be. And over time, storms in life and pressure, eventually it grows into something that clogs up our very soul's. And worry steals our health, our sleep, our strength, and our hope. And worst of all, it turns our eyes inward to look for the fix, when really we're supposed to look upward. So Jesus says when life spins out of control, we can respond in one of two ways we can worry, or we can have faith. And he ends this passage about worry saying this He says, So, do not worry. Saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear or how on earth are we going to pay for that? For the pagans run after these things. Pagans, that's a word they use for people who didn't follow God. Pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, meaning his right way of living. And all of these things you're looking for, they'll be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, Jesus invites us, when worry hits us, to stop and remember that God sees us and our needs. And then he circles us right back to his original thought, which was what? Who do you serve? What do you serve? And really, who do you belong to? He reminds us that worry is a choice. We can choose it and we can choose to say no to it. He says, we can. We can choose worry. We can choose mammon. We can hold on and try to keep control. But at the end of the day, when tomorrow comes, our worry is all we're going to be left with. Or we can switch our focus and we can let God be our king. We can trust that he will take care of tomorrow. And when we do, we find that we'll have exactly what we need. And I gotta confess, I am not the right person to be up here talking to you about this. I think I used to be. I think growing up, I was one of those kids who, a lot of things happened to us growing up. We went through some really tough times and I was one of those kids, who I wasn't shaken by much. I mean, once in a while I'd have my moments, but I was one of those kids who was kind of made out of Kevlar. Like, man, things could happen. I'd be like, all right, it's gonna be fine. We'll be good. And I carried that on into adulthood But then I got a little older and then I got married. Things change when you get married, don't they? You start worrying about things you may have never worried about before. And this summer I found myself in a place where it started with just one or two questions in my mind, which then led to more, which then led to more what ifs and what if and what will happen and what could happen and what do I need to do and what about this and what about this thing... And before I knew it, by the end of the summer, there was one week where I went all week long without sleeping. Because I was so distraught with worry. And it was new for me because it was something I didn't normally do. I didn't sleep for an entire week. Now, our, our marriage mentors are here, and they're going to hit that I point them out. Hey, Jeff and Melissa. So we meet with them every once in a while. Their heads are down and they're looking away. And, and uh, so they are always pointing us to, well, they're pointing us to Jesus, but then they also point us to this guy named Jamie Winship. And Jamie Winship, if you want to hear some pretty awesome messages about God's identity for us, like he's got some great stuff. So you Google it, find it. It's amazing. But we were watching one of his videos and Jamie talks about how to speak to God, how to talk to God, especially when you're not sure of what to do. And there's a question that he says to ask, and I was just so afraid to ask it. And it's the question of, God, what do you want me to know about this? I'm worried that we won't be able to afford to have kids. What do you want me to know about this? I'm worried that we may not even have kids. What do you want me to know about this? I'm worried we're not going to be able to save up for a house while we save up for a car, while we pay down all of our debt. And I don't think it can be done. What do you want me to know about this? And it's funny. He's this one thing he's been saying almost every time I go to him and I ask him this question. And it was before I knew I was going to do this, which, by the way, when I found out I was going to be speaking on worry, <laughs> I got worried. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to do this right. But when I asked him, what he said to me was this You work for me, you serve me, and I will care for you. You see, we hold tight to our worries. But if we are willing to release our grip on worry, if we are willing to open up our hands, and I've found this day after day, not once and for all, I have to do this daily. Daily, I have to choose which master I'm going to follow. I have to choose which is my king. And I have to make this choice daily to take my worries and open up my hands and hold them up. And when you do that, when you release your worries and open your hands, what you find out is he will fill your hands, your heart, and your head with something else. Paul, the apostle... He's written a lot of the books in the New Testament that we, that we teach a lot from the end of the Bible. And we call his letters books, but they're actually letters written to different towns and different, pe- different followers of Christ in different towns. Well, one of these letters, it's the letter to the people in Philippi. We call, it the, we call it Philippians. In this letter, to a group of people who are facing their own death for believing in Christ, he talks to them about worry. And he says this, he says, "'Do not be anxious.'" This is in the book of Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, so even being thankful to God before you even see an answer to your prayer. Present your requests to God. And this is so good. And the peace. In the what? Come on, you gotta say it. And the And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which transcends all understanding means it's above our comprehension. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, have you ever seen somebody who should be worried, but they're not? Yeah, that's peace. And peace, when it's in a place where it shouldn't be, that's peace beyond our comprehension. That is peace that transcends understanding. And peace of God will guard your heart and your mind's In Christ Jesus. I love this because we don't often think of peace as being something that's on the offense. We don't think peace as being something that's a weapon or something that's defensive. But God's peace, when we are willing to trade our worries, he'll take them. He'll rip out the tree from our gutters and his peace will flow through our lives. And it's not easy. It is not easy. It's something that takes a daily daily, daily decision to do. It takes work and it takes honesty. You've got to take the first step, even if it's scary to do so. If if you're worried about something and you're afraid about letting it go, tell God that. If you're afraid that he's not going to answer your prayer, tell him. He already knows it. Be honest with him confess to him like, God, I really, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about my job. And I don't think you're going to do anything good about it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. When you do that, you are trading worry. And you are opening him, opening yourself up to let him give you peace. And when you do that, you're releasing and you're letting God be your king. I'd like you to get out your seed packet. Every single one of us is coming into here today with worries on our minds. Maybe you've got a lot. Maybe there's so many that you feel like you're drowning. Maybe you've only got a handful. Maybe there's a worry that you have that you ignore and you say you don't have it, but you know it's there. We're going to watch a story and see a story about a family who went through something fairly difficult. And at the end of that, there's going to be a song. And over these next two moments, what I want you to do is I want you to hold this in your hand. Hold it tight. And I want you to take those worries, and I want you to imagine yourself taking that worry and placing it in this bag with these seeds and trading your worries for these seeds. Because today could be the day that you start trading your worry for peace.